Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Good morning, Connect Church. It's great to be with you. And uh, Chris, thanks for that introduction and for the opportunity to uh, teach a Christmas message. I've always wanted to do that, and I've never had the opportunity. So uh, I I was pleasantly surprised when asked to do so. And I I just uh, would really like to to jump into the content that we have today. Uh, This word surprise, it is... Uh, it plays a pretty significant role, doesn't it, in the, uh, Chris- the way we experience Christmas. Most often, that surprise is around the Christmas tree when it's time to open gifts, right? Well, I'd like to tell you a story about a surprise that happened around Christmas time, not around the Christmas tree, but it happened to my wife, Marcy. She works for an interior design company, and they like to take us to very nice places for the Christmas party each year. And just a few years back, they took us to this really upscale restaurant in the Denver Tech Center area. And as, they, as we were going through the night, I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of times these upscale restaurants, they, they tend to be a little bit dimly lit. So... Uh, Maybe you've noticed that if you've if you've been to many uh, upscale restaurants, but um, these these high end restaurants they have this this ambience or ambiance or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's dining atmosphere, I guess, and it works out great for that, but not so much for other things like navigating the facilities. I should probably stop right now and tell you that I do have my wife's permission to tell you this story. <laughs> So Marcy, in the middle of the night, she gets up and she goes uh, in search of the women's restroom. And she finds it and she goes inside and guess what? It's dimly lit in there as well. And so uh, she's, she kind of feels her way and finds a stall and goes inside and begins to latch the door. She has to lean over to see it very well and she turns around and there's a person in the stall. <laughs> And uh, so she very quickly turns back around and starts now frantically working at this latch to try to make her escape. But I think the woman who was already seated in the stall, I think she was probably a little bit surprised too, don't you? One thing we know for sure, it could have gone so much worse. Yeah, it's true. One of the most important parts of the holiday season is this element of surprise. And maybe you've started eyeing the packages that are starting to accumulate under the Christmas tree. And you are just so excited that you can't stand it. So as soon as everyone's out of the house, you go and you find the ones with your name on it. and You shake them and you analyze the shape and you look at your wish list and see if you can figure out what's in there. Or maybe you're one of those really impossible to surprise people and you don't even bother with that. You just find the stash before the gifts are wrapped 
and, and you analyze it against your wish list and you find out. You know exactly what you're getting. You're impossible to surprise. Now, if this is you, I'd just like to say on behalf of the rest of your family, stop. <laughs> you're driving them crazy with that. Just be surprised or at least act surprised and allow them to enjoy that moment when it comes. Last year, as we opened gift and, uh, gifts and that moment came for our family on Christmas morning, uh, my son's at that time fiancé and now wife, she joined us for our Christmas activities. Now, what you need to know about my daughter-in-law, Bella, is that she loves to cook. She uh, especially loves to bake. And so my wife was really hoping to surprise her with this really special, specific, and extravagant gift. It's the KitchenAid Mixer. Have you seen this thing? Wow, it's impressive. It weighs about 20 pounds, and it probably take up most of this table. It's got a bowl that kind of locks into it, and it hinges, and you can put all your ingredients in and hit press play, and then come back a few minutes later, and all your stuff is mixed. Well, when Bella opened this gift, it was so far beyond what she expected that she couldn't hold back the tears. It was really a special moment for our family. She explained to us that she really hoped that someday she'd be able to own one of these mixers, but she didn't expect that she would actually own one because they're just so expensive. But worth every penny in this case, right? My wife is very good at giving gifts, but Christmas is about the best gift giver of all and the unfathomable gift of his son. And this gift was such a surprise that only the purest of heart could believe it. Maybe you've heard the Christmas story so many times that absolutely nothing about it could possibly surprise you anymore. But rest assured, the people, the real people that are a part of the real Christmas story, they were surprised. We got a sense of that last week as Chris told us about Zechariah being caught off guard in the temple and how he and his wife Elizabeth were shocked by this news that the angel brought. And of course, Mary, and this week we'll talk a little bit about Joseph, they were, well, surprised is probably an understatement when they each had their own angelic encounters and received messages from above. And I wonder if you've been surprised over the last couple of years about this, how early the Christmas season keeps beginning. Like each year, it, it begins earlier and earlier. This year, Black Friday was a Wednesday because that's when November 1st fell. And now the day after Halloween is the start of the Christmas season. At least that's how it, how it seems. I think it's probably better anyway if something called Black Friday gets attached to Halloween instead of Thanksgiving. But we got to object to this, right? On principle that it can't just keep getting earlier every year because this thing that we do, the irony of Christmas in July, it won't even be ironic because... It'll just start in July and just last the rest of the year. But guess what? Those Hallmark Christmas movies, they have their own channel now. 
and it runs year-round. So it's already happening, and we got to do something so we can save the years to come from being consumed by Christmas. Or, wait a minute, let's talk about the potential upside of extending Christmas time. There is a reason that Jesus, as a baby, is a part of the gospel. There's something about a baby that causes people to drop their guard. Last week, when we had some couples up here dedicating their babies to the Lord and Connect Church agreed that they would participate in that, not just in that moment, but in an ongoing way, because if anything takes a village, it is raising children in this crazier and getting crazier by the minute world that we live in. And seriously, I don't know if you looked around at the other people in the room, uh, at their faces. It was almost as much fun to watch the faces of the people watching the babies as it was to look at the babies, almost. I think one of the reasons that we feel so filled up with hope and with joy when we see a baby is because of this truth. Every time a baby is born, it's God's way of saying that he has not given up on this world. Not yet. So neither should we. In fact, Christmas time affords us this opportunity to share the gospel in this context of Jesus as a baby. So they're more, just more likely to say, tell me more about this good news. So you can invite them. You can invite them to church. You can invite them to your small group. You can invite them to Christmas services because, again, at this time of year, they're just more likely to say, Tell me more about uh, this good news. Now, if I show up with a baby, I would even say, in fact, everything I say is going to sound like good news. You want proof? I've got video proof. And so hopefully they're ready to run this video. They'll run it here in just a second. And uh, I'll set it up for you. I'd like for you to meet my two grandsons. Uh, the, this is going to be Theophilus and Elijah. No, really, that's their names. Interestingly enough, uh, Luke chapter 1 contains both of their names. So you're going to see Theo. He'll be the first one you see. He's the one with the long, flowing, curly, kind of Jason Momoa hairstyle. And then, you, well, you'll know who Elijah is. So go ahead and run that video. You just get 20 seconds of that bliss, but. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, see, I told you, am I right or am I right? If I show up with a baby, everything I say is good news. They say the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Maybe you know that movie quote. That might be the second best way, because clearly the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to show up with a baby, especially a laughing baby. Now, this idea that every time a baby is born, it's God's way of saying that he hasn't given up on the world was never more true than when that baby was the Christ child. 
but it's probably not what you ex would have expected if you had been around uh, 2,000 plus years ago. In fact, I'd say everybody was caught off guard by this baby, Jesus, and his cousin John. Not the least which uh, would have been Mary and Elizabeth, and yes, the men in their life. These expecting moms had absolutely no reason to expect to be expecting. Mary was a virgin. She was so young. And Mary, or Elizabeth, was far too old. Can you blame them for being in a little bit of shock when they found out? At the top of the list of those shocked by Mary's pregnancy, though, would have to be Joseph, right? You know, you're engaged, you're doing the right thing and saving that kind of intimacy for holy matrimony. And then your fiance goes to visit her aunt and comes back home to Nazareth pregnant. Joseph was in the position of calling out her shame, but instead he chose to share in that perceived shame with her by marrying her. Why? Because God had stepped in again, sending an angel to Joseph in a dream. We find all of this out in Matthew's gospel. And how does Joseph respond? Well, a little bit like his bride-to-be. Remember what she says? May it be to me as you have said, Lord, I am your servant. If you've ever wondered why uh, God chose Mary and Joseph specifically, maybe it has something to do with this response that they have to him. But do you think that Mary might have known a little bit about the downside of the angel's announcement? that she would be subjected to this public shame for her pregnancy, and that Jesus, as described by Isaiah, would someday become the suffering servant. When you look at the song that she composes, which begins in verse 46 of chapter 1, when you look at that song, you realize she's, she's fairly biblically literate. I think that she knew that it wasn't going to be an easy road. But her response to God is, I am your servant. May it be to me as you have said. The entire nation of Israel at this point was languishing under Roman dominance. They were expectantly on the lookout for God's promised Messiah to come and rescue them from their oppressors. Let's take a look back at Zechariah going into the temple to burn incense, which is another way of saying he was going in there to inquire of the Lord. It says in verse 10 that the whole multitude of the people were outside praying during the hour of incense. Now that's more than personal expectation, isn't it? That's the expectation of an entire people. But when God sends an angel with a message, Zechariah can't believe it. He's become so institutionalized by the oppressiveness of the Roman regime and by the cultural shame of his wife's barrenness and their 
old age is an indicator to him that God might be able to do something like this through someone else, but not through me. I'm past my prime. There's no way. So everyone is praying expectantly, and then God shows up, but they can't believe it. This reminds me a little bit of Acts chapter 12. And in that section of scripture, we have the apostle Peter. He's just been put in prison and he's awaiting execution. And so in the same city, there's a bunch of believers that gather to pray that he would not be executed, that he would be set free. And guess what? He does get set free. God intervenes. He answers their prayer and he leaves the prison and comes straight to the place where he knows they're praying and he knocks on the door. And can't you just see it? All these people praying so intently, eyes clenched, fists, uh, hands held tightly together, uh, standing in a circle. And they're praying, God, please don't let this happen to Peter. Please release him from prison. And there's a knock, just like that one and this one. There's a knock. And so the owner of the household says, Rhoda, that's the name of the servant girl. Uh, go get that. We're praying. God, please release Peter from prison. And so she goes to the door and she's being careful. And she says, who is it? basically. And Peter says, it's me. I've been released from prison. And she recognizes his voice and she freaks out, forgets to even let him in, runs back into the living room where everybody's still praying. And she says, Peter's here. He's been released from prison. And they're like, you're crazy. We're praying. <laughs> Jesus, please release Peter from prison. And so the people were praying intently <laughs> and God showed up, but they can't believe it. This statement is not just a description of these moments. It's a description of the response of the people of Israel in the first century to the literal presence of God in the flesh among them. Jesus would eventually say to the religious leaders of Israel, you do not have his word abiding in you. You don't believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. What is Jesus referring to when he says that the scriptures bear witness of him? He's referring to the fact that their scriptures... Our Old Testament is filled from one end to the other with references to Jesus, the Messiah. Those scriptures also bear witness to John the Baptist, his forerunner sent to prepare the way. Jesus is first referenced right at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, but the references throughout the Old Testament, they just keep on coming. Some of them are in what we might think of as unlikely places like the book of Hosea or the book of Job. Some of them show up allegorically in the history of Israel with Jesus as deliverer or Passover lamb. But there are so many times when entire sections of scripture clearly point directly to Jesus. 
Psalm 22, which describes crucifixion with great detail hundreds of years before it was invented, is clearly about Jesus. Jesus even quotes this psalm while he hangs on the cross, making sure that they and we don't miss that it is about him. This is especially true in the book of Isaiah, where we see passages like, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, verse 14. Matthew makes sure that we don't miss this reference in chapter 1 of his gospel, adding that the name Emmanuel means God with us. Isaiah 53, the entire chapter, along with part of 52, describes Jesus as the suffering servant. And then there's Isaiah chapter 40, and it goes on and on. There's so many uh, references to, uh, to uh, Jesus in Isaiah, in the, in the scroll, in the book of Isaiah. There's just too many to mention at this point in time for our context today. In fact, there are over 300 prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament, and they are all fulfilled in one person. Jesus. Jesus. The final chapters and verses of the Old Testament clearly point to him and to John the Baptist. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 says, Behold, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And in the closing Two verses of the entire Old Testament. It says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the, of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. What does Elijah the prophet have to do with any of this? Well, let's jump in, uh, back into Luke chapter 1. Remember from last week what the angel Gabriel said about John to his father, Zechariah? He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. I was asked to give a message on Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56, and guess what? We're finally there. So we're going to start reading in verse 39. At that time... Uh, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, and I think some of you ladies who've 
carried a child, you know what it feels like when the baby starts to move. What would it feel like if the baby leapt in your womb? I think you probably would cry out in a loud voice. What did the angel say to Zechariah? That his son would be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And what happened as a result? John reacts to the Holy Spirit while in the womb of Elizabeth, and she vicariously gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we know about the physical connection between a mother and her unborn, uh, her unborn child. But isn't this a beautiful picture of the spiritual connection between a mother and her unborn child? In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaims, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And here she says it. Blessed is she who has believed the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And this brings us full circle, doesn't it? Not only for this message, but for last week's message as well. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. This promise was first spoken before Mary was even born. So it's really just being reiterated by the angel, isn't it? Remember Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 that we read just a moment ago? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Let me suggest two things about this promise. First of all, it wasn't just for Mary. You get that, right? And secondly, the name Emmanuel is a part of the promise. Mary, this teenage girl, believed the promise. She lived with expectancy. She stood out among her people for this, didn't she? So many of the Jewish people, especially the religious leaders, knew the promise. They knew the prophecies. prophecies. They knew the plan the plan to send the Messiah, but they looked him straight in the face and missed him. I don't want to do that, but I got to be honest. I have a tendency to. Let me share a couple of stories with you, one from Scripture and one from my recent personal experience that illustrate this. The first story comes from Genesis chapter 16. And guess what? In this story, an angel has been sent to tell a young woman about a pregnancy. And in this case, the girl's name is Hagar. And she's been cast out of the camp of Abraham and Sarah. And she's at her wit's end. She's in the middle of the wilderness. And then an angel shows up and ministers to her in her distress. This story has always resonated with me because of how God meets her in these difficult circumstances. But also because of the name that she gives God. Verse 13 says this. Thereafter... Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, 
you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So here we are coming to the end of 2023. And I wonder how you would describe your year, not just as a church, as we've heard uh, this morning, but also personally. How has it gone for you? Has it been awesome, amazing, hard, maybe discouraging? Have you wondered at times, does God even see me? Have there been those moments? In the last year, I've spent a little bit more time in the wilderness than I'm accustomed to. A couple of months ago, I was walking through the parking lot at Parker Adventist Hospital, and I was feeling anxious. I was feeling overwhelmed about current and recent circumstances, and I was feeling, of course, as we Christians do, I was feeling guilty about feeling anxious. I was a tightly wound ball of stress as I made my way toward my car. It was parked on the opposite end of the parking lot. And I could see in the distance near the bike rack this group of, I don't know, 10 or 12 people. And one of them was standing on top of the bike rack with his arms outstretched. And they just stood out for reasons that I'm not sure I fully understood uh, in the moment. But they were directly in my path as I approached my car. As I walked through the group, one of them, a young woman seated on a bench to my right, she said to me very emphatically, hey, and I knew instinctively that she was talking specifically to me. So I kept walking, <laughs> but I turned to look at her and her eyes locked in on mine. And she said, I see you. Hmm. So I kind of reflexively responded, I see you too. <laughs> the word theophany is a word that theologians use to describe a moment when God opens a direct channel between the heavenly and the earthly realms and speaks or maybe even steps through it. We're talking a lot about theophanies today, aren't we? That word is an apt description of this moment in the life of Hagar. She's left as we often are after a moment like the one I described from my own experience to ask this question. Have I truly seen the one who sees me? The margin notes for the ESV describe another apt English from Hebrew translation of this phrase. Would I have looked here for the one who sees me? These questions were just rattling around inside me in this moment, and they actually kind of settled me in that moment. And my breathing slowed, and tears began to stream down my face as I got into my car. My tendencies to explain away these moments where God manifests His presence were undone. And I rested, at least for this moment, in the biblical truth that God sees me. Do you believe that biblical truth for yourself? It's easy for me to be critical of the religious leaders in Jesus' day. What were they thinking? 
How could they miss the Messiah that they claimed to be longing for when he was right in front of their faces? But until I stop giving in to the tendency to explain away the activity of God, I will remain at risk for missing his move. If you can relate to this at all. Let's decide together to believe the promise contained in the name Emmanuel. God with us. To believe the promise contained in the name given him by by Hagar. God sees us. Jesus, the embodiment of these statements, reiterated them just before his ascension in Matthew chapter 28. After uh, commissioning his disciples and us to go and be disciple makers, he left them and us with these words and be sure of this I am with you always always may we say in response with Mary I am your servant Lord may it be to me as you have said The blessing of whatever path you have me on. The difficulty and the challenge of whatever path you have me on. May we say with her, may it be to me as you have said. And may we respond as she did with extravagant worship. She bursts into song with these words. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. The Christmas story is filled with implications for us, isn't it? I've chosen three that kind of summarize this message today, and here's the first one. Christmas time is an opportunity Because the story of Jesus as a baby causes people to drop their guard. And they're just more likely during this time of year, as we've said, uh, to be open to being introduced to him. So don't let that opportunity that this time of year has in it just slip past. Participate in that calling. John the Baptist, here's number two. John the Baptist's calling to prepare the way for Jesus isn't just his calling, right? It is our calling as well. And there's an increase at this time of year, as we've said, to participate in that calling. Number three is this. We should aspire to Mary's openness to see the move of God and not miss it, but instead to believe. We should respond as she did with expectancy May it be to me as you have said and with worship. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you often step in to the space that we exist in. God, so often we miss it or we try to explain it. 
in some way other than this idea that you are with us and that you see us. But God, would you in the days to come, especially as we consider what you accomplished by bringing your son into the world at this time of year that, that we celebrate at this time of year. God, we thank you that you have shown that you have proven to us with his presence in the world among uh, us and among the people of his time. God, you've shown that you are with us and that you do see us. May that resonate in our hearts and may it bring about in us a response of worship. In Jesus' name.